passages for today uh, come from the book of James and the book of Philippians. The book of James, James, the younger brother of Jesus, the book that has his name attached to it, and the book of Philippians. James chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, and then Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and through, thir- and, and thir- through 13. We believe that this is God's powerful, life-changing, life-giving word. We believe that this word is the foundation upon which life is best lived when when we live by it. And when life comes off the rails, we know that often it's because we're not following his word. So in that light, would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word this morning from James chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come, come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, devilish. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. And then move over to the, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Not that I am referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. Wow, what a powerful statement. I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Last week, we began a series of messages, a seven-week series. Actually, it's going to be a little bit longer than seven weeks because we got some days to celebrate other things in there. But we began a seven-series messages, a message uh, series that we're calling Vice Grips. Vice Grips. That there are these things that get us in the vice, get us in the grip. And when they do, they can absolutely destroy us, not only physically, relationally, but also spiritually. We began last week um, by talking about pride. And we said that pride is excessive self-esteem, overly self-assured. That's the definition we put out. Excessive self-esteem, overly self-assured. Since I've uh, since then, I've had some folks ask me about that. <laughs> they said, you know, I, I mean, <clears throat> there's pride for our children. There's pride for our country. There's pride for our family name. All pride can't be bad, can it? No, of course not. No, what we're talking about when we're addressing the spiritual malady of pride, what we're talking about is when you are the center of your universe. When you are the center of your universe, you are never wrong. It's all about you. No one will ever tell you what to do. Not even God is going to tell you. Most people don't say it that way. But you are the center of your world. God's not going to tell you what to do. And how dare you, how dare you put this book in front of me because this is just not even relevant to my life. Pride. Pride that is overly, self, overly self-assured, excessive self-esteem. That's what we talked about last week. 
And we said that if all the other sins, all the other vices, if you will, if they are the branches of the tree, then pride is the root. That's an important statement for you to get. When we're talking about all these other vices, we believe as Christians so much of it is rooted and grounded in human, in human pride. And we said that if pride is an issue for you, if it, if it has you in its grip, if there are people in your life who love you enough to tell you the truth that this is an issue for you, then the prayer needs to be, dear God, take me from this place to a place of humility. Now, often people equate humility with weakness, but it's not. It's like meekness is not the same as weakness. Humility is not the same as weakness. Humility is a heart and a life that's open to the moving of God's Spirit. So, Lord, if this is a, an issue for me, and I've had people pointed out to me, I want to ask you, Lord, to begin to move me away from this toward where you want me to be. Now, listen very carefully. I'm about to tell you. You don't just ask God to do something one time. It's a process, you understand. It's a process. Each day we wake up and we say, Dear God, help me today move more toward where you want me to be. Help me today become more the person you call me to be. So when we're talking about pride, we don't just bow down and say, Lord, help me become humble. No, what we do is we simply adopt a heart that says, I'm going to move toward where God wants me to be, and I'm going to ask for his help daily. We come this morning to, um, to the second of these things. Today, we come to a subject that is something of the same conversation in that, like last week, we asked, how can pride be a deadly sin? This is sort of similar to that. I mean, of all the bad stuff people do, of all the bad things people can become, how in the world is this one a deadly sin? Today, the subject is envy. Envy. Let's bow our heads and pray together for a moment. Lord, help us now in this moment to give you permission to move in our lives and in our hearts. Help us to hear you and help us our lives to become more conformed to what you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of his people said, amen. Leo Wilson and Adam Martin were 16 and 18 years of age. This true experience happened in Houston, Texas a few years ago. Both of the boys had saved their money, and saved their money, and saved their money, and they were able eventually to buy the expensive pair of tennis shoes they wanted. Very expensive, $175 a pair. But they'd been saving their money and saving their money. They were walking down the street in Houston, Texas, and two other young men approached them with a 9mm pistol. And they said, We want those shoes. We want them. They took those shoes off. They gave them to, the, to, to these two guys. And that 9 millimeter pistol held by that young man 
took the life of both those boys. Envy. It's a powerful human emotion. Like we did with pride, let's begin today by defining what envy is. Vine's Dictionary says, Envy is the feeling of displeasure produced by witnessing or hearing of the advantage or prosperity of others. It is the feeling of displeasure produced by witnessing or hearing of the advantage or prosperity of others. The Greek word for envy is a very interesting word. It's a word which literally means to boil within. The Greek word for the word envy literally conjures up this image of boiling within. It's meant to be the picture of a seething, boiling monster growing in the heart of a person. It is that ever-present tendency of human beings to want what we do not have and to not appreciate what we do. It was Shakespeare, I think, in Othello who called envy the green sickness. That, by the way, is where we get the term green with envy. To be envious is to desire to deprive another of what he has. That is envy. It's a boiling in your soul at the well-being of someone else. In the passage of Scripture from the book of James, James says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, you will find disorder and every evil practice. And we see envy everywhere, friends. We see envy in children. Children. Little children. We see envy. One has a blue cup and the other has a red cup. Same size, same kind, but the child with the blue cup wants to know why his brother gets the red cup, and he doesn't. I want the red cup. We see envy in children. We see envy in youth. One person makes the team and the other person doesn't. One person makes the cheerleading squad and the other doesn't. One makes good grades and everybody seems to fall on over them and then the other one's just happy to get a C. And jealousy and envy sets in. We see envy in our youth. It seems to be more obvious with children and youth, but adults, while less obvious, still have this issue. Adults. We look at what other people have, their possessions. We look at where they live and we become envious. We become envious because they live in a house that's nicer than our house. We, they live in a house that's much bigger than our house. Or maybe they have a nicer car or a bigger boat. Or maybe they seem to have the perfect marriage. And we don't. Or maybe they have children, and let's say, let's say that look at their look at their kids. Their kids are perfect, and we become envious. Or <laughs> look at her; 
She loses weight and never has a problem with it. I can look at a piece of cheesecake and take on five pounds. And envy sets in. It may not be so obvious with adults, but the malignant cancer of envy is still there. And envy is alive in the local church. Can you believe that? It rears its head in the place where you'd never expect to see it. People who feel like they should have been given the solo instead of someone else. The other person got more applause than you did. Your ministry isn't given as much attention as another ministry gets, and you envy that. You're not elected to this board or to that committee, and and they were. And while trying to serve God, we end up being envious of someone else. Can you believe that? The Bible says in Proverbs 14.30, it says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. That's in the NIV edition. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but evil rots the bones. You see, envy envy eats away at us, and it eats away at us in several ways. It eats away at our ability to examine ourselves objectively. Envy eats away at our ability to tell the truth about us. Isn't it strange how we judge other people by their actions and we judge ourselves by our intentions? How often have you heard somebody say, well, look at what they did? In envy, what we tend to do is we tend to be critical. We tend to focus on what another person has, who they are, what they look like, and what that does. Listen, friends, what that does is it infects us. And it eats away at us. Because we're no longer able to look at ourselves and our surroundings with an objective eye. We can't, we can't examine ourselves objectively. We rationalize our feelings, we rationalize our behavior, and we justify our envy, dadgummit. Envy rots away at us because it removes our ability to examine ourselves and our lives. Envy eats away at our relationships. Good friends. Good friends. And envy sets in. And they become bitter enemies over time. Brothers and sisters who once were close now have resentment for one another. Have you ever seen this? One may feel the other one got treated differently in life. One may feel like the other was the favorite. And as they get older, that bitter envy still remains and there is perhaps no better breeding ground listen to me there is no better breeding ground for envy than when a loved one passes away you know where I'm going with this don't you family members become envious of one another because of what they got 
and the small little thing that was left for me. Envy in the family. And bitter envy sets in, and in some cases, brothers and sisters don't speak to each other for years, if ever, again. This is a big deal. It is a spiritual malignancy. If ever envy sets in, it will begin to eat you up. That, I think, is why the church fathers called it a deadly sin. Because envy doesn't stay at the low-grade level. Envy eventually elevates itself more and more and more, and that becomes a part of who you are. Envy is present in relationships. It happens in the workplace, doesn't it? And it happens most often when we feel that we have not been treated fairly. We feel like we deserve something that we didn't get. Why did they get that promotion and and I didn't? One person gets it and another one becomes envious. It may surprise you, friends, but I have never been envious of electricians. Okay, I said it. Never once have I ever been envious of electricians. I have never been envious of plumbers or painters or bankers or salesmen or doctors as much as I admire what they may do. You know, my problem, my problem with envy will always come from within the professional circle where I live. I don't get envious with electricians. And the people who are electricians don't get envious of preachers. No, our problem with envy will always come from the professional circle in which we live. I need to be extremely careful not to look at envy with the other guy, at the other guy who does better what I do than I do. I need to be very, very careful to not become envious at the person who does what I do far better than I do, the one who teaches better than I do, the one who delivers a sermon with more passion and eloquence than I. I got to watch this carefully, or I fall into the trap of envy, which raises the question. What does it do to us? If it's a real deal, and it is, what does it do do to us? Well, eventually, envy creates misery for us personally. That's the real tragedy of it. Far greater than the effect of our envy upon someone else. You listening? Far greater than the effect of our envy upon someone else is the pain and misery we suffer personally. Our envy, friends, may be doing absolutely nothing to the person we envy, but it will destroy us physically, it will destroy us emotionally, and it will without a doubt destroy us spiritually. I hope you're paying attention to this. Because envy very often, almost never, has any impact on the person you envy. But I'd be doggone 
it sure does affect you. I have always said, bitterness is like a poison. It always does more to the vessel in which it is stored than the object on which it is poured. Envy is the same thing. It will always do more damage to the vessel in which it is stored than the object on which it is poured. So if envy has these effects, if envy has this potential in our lives, if according to the early church fathers, envy has the possibility, the power to separate us from God, then we need to address the question of what do we do about that? And it is not realistic to say, I'm just not going to envy anymore. Used to have that problem, not going to have that problem anymore. Had that problem yesterday, not going to have it from today forward ever again. That is not realistic. The question then is, what do we do to move from envy to contentment? That's the question on the screen right now. How do we move from envy to a place of contentment? How do we move from an attitude of, I want what they have? Or in order for me to be content, I've got to have what another individual has. Have you ever, real, have you ever noticed that you think something's going to make you happy and then you get it and it doesn't make you happy? Have you ever noticed that you, you have this attitude, well, if I just had that, I'd be content. And you get that, and you're not content. No, how do we move from envy to a place of contentment? Well, know this. Know this. Contentment is an inside job. It's an inside job not determined by external factors. That is an important statement on the screen right now. Contentment is an inside job not determined by external factors. You see, envy begins outside us, right? We see someone else. And who they are or what they have or how they look, what, they, what they've possessed. We see someone else and we want that for ourselves. And it is then, it is then that the envy moves into the heart and takes root. So envy is an external thing. You see something, you observe something that you want, and then it moves from what you've seen out there, it begins to move inside and take root. Hence the term again, green with envy. But contentment. Contentment is not about what's outside us. Contentment is about what's in your heart. The Apostle Paul said, I have learned the secret of contentment. Now he was in prison. 
He was beaten. He had a death sentence over him for two years. And yet he could say, I have learned that anywhere, anytime, I can be content. And the secret is this, he said. Contentment is an inside job. It is a continuing work of God's Holy Spirit in your life. I want you to hear that term, continuing. Contentment is a continuing work of God's Holy Spirit in your life. Moving you from where you are and the deadly malady that you are dealing with, moving you from that place to where God wants you to be, it is a continuing work. It's what we in the Methodist church call sanctification toward holiness. Mr. Wesley was fond of that, that idea that, that we would be in the process. How many of us realize that we are, we're in the process? You ain't what you used to be. And you ain't what you want to be. You're in the process. Contentment is an inside job, a continuing work of God's Holy Spirit. So, what are some specific steps we can take to move away from envy? Okay? Well, you're not going to like what I'm about to tell you. I don't even like what I'm about to tell you. But it is the truth of God's Word. And whoever the heck stands here better be committed to giving you the truth of God's holy word. So I'm going to give you that. What I'm about to tell you may make you uncomfortable. But God is far more interested in your character than he is your comfort. God is far more interested in your character than whether or not you have a warm fuzzy. So how do we move away from envy? Just want to mention a couple of things. First of all, we must understand that envy is sin. It's not a personality disorder. It's not a hang-up. It's not something that you inherited genetically Envy is sin. And until we get to the place where we can call it what it is, we won't address it. And I said last week, I'll say it again today, God can't correct what you won't confront. We begin by calling it what it is. Envy is sin. And if this is an issue... If this is an issue for you, and I'd like to suggest it might be an issue for all of us some of the time. It's maybe some people all the time. But if this is an, in, an issue for you, have the courage to call it out. Call it out. And again, if somebody loves you enough to tell you, you've got to deal with this envy issue you've got. If somebody is interested in you enough to say, look, this is a problem for you. You have got to deal with it before it deals with you. If somebody is, loves you enough to tell you the truth, then you offer it up in honest confession to God. Now listen to this. 
the strongest place you can ever be in God's presence, the strongest place you can ever be is on your knees with your head bowed. The strongest place you can ever be is with your head bowed before a holy God. And I would suggest to you that it's a place of strength when you come to the place of telling the truth to God. Not because he doesn't know it, but because you need to own it. Have the courage to call it out. That's what, that's what God calls confession and repentance because God is far more interested in your character than he is your comfort. Secondly, we move from envy to contentment. Now, like, you're not going to like this one especially. We move from envy to contentment when we choose to pray for the person we envy. Told you we ain't gonna like it. Listen, when you begin to pray for someone you envy, you'll feel your heart begin to change. When you begin to intercede for the person you have envy toward, you, my friend, will have begun a place toward spiritual maturity. When you begin to pray for their well-being, you are going in the right direction. Now listen, listen, listen. If you pray for someone you envy, don't pray for their life to go bad. Don't pray for the beautiful lady to become ugly. Don't pray for the wealthy person to become poor. Don't do that. Just pray for God's well-being for them. Pray for the, God to bless them. And guess what? It may have absolutely no impact on them. But it will impact you. It will change you. Again, God's interested in your character, not your comfort. Pray for the person you envy. And that will begin to move you toward a place of maturity and you say, well, uh, I don't feel like praying for them. I had so many people, I just don't feel like praying for them. I don't like them, never have liked them, don't see myself starting to like them. I don't like them. Do you get that? I don't like them. Friends, doing the right thing, doing the thing God wants you to do, doing what the Scripture tells you to do is never based on whether you feel like it. I hope you get that. Here's a helpful word for us for today. Jesus never told us what to feel. He told us what to do. Let that, let that marinate. Jesus never told us what to feel because feelings change, right? Feelings are fickle. Jesus didn't tell us what to feel. He told us what to do. And Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you. Pray for them and do not resent them. Now, <clears throat> I'm almost done. Stay with me. Why did Jesus say that? 
Why would Jesus say, pray for them and, 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 and don't resent them? Did he, did he say that to make us miserable? Did Jesus say that we need to pray for someone we envy just to make life worse for us? No, Jesus said that because of what praying for the person you envy, again, does for you. It releases you, it releases you from the place of bitterness and envy toward maturity. And then finally, this envy that eats you alive. Make a choice daily to focus on what you've been given, not what you've been denied. Make a choice every day to focus on what you have been given, not what you have been denied. When I was a kid growing up, maybe some of you all remember, there was a little song we used to sing in church, Count Your Blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. I get it, the theology of it's great. Make the choice daily to focus on what you have been given not what you've been denied. When all, when all you do is focus on how good God has been to someone else, when you focus on how good God has been to someone else and forget about how, God, how good God has been for you and to you, there's a problem. You know, I know in churches, and I get this, in churches they like to say God is good all the time and all the time God is good. I want you to know, God is good all the time. To you and to me. Focus on what you have been given, not what you have been denied. I know people who focus only on what they don't have. And then I just want to make one more little statement, and it is this. What you nurture is what will grow. That's an agricultural idea, what you nurture, what you plant, what you water. What you nurture is what will grow. If you nurture envy, that monster will grow, and so will bitterness, and it will impact you in a myriad of ways. But if today you choose that your life will be lived from a place of thanking God for what he's blessed you with, that too will grow. Here's the last thing. Your soul is like fertile ground. What you plant in it is what's going to grow. Do you believe that? Your soul is fertile ground. Your spirit is fertile ground. What you plant in it will grow. And guess what? <clears throat> you get to make the choice. Now, I have run my mouth now for a little while. But I am telling you, if this is an issue for you, you need to deal with it or it will deal with you. It really will. Today, as we close our worship service, we kind of got a bunch of stuff up here, so I'm not going to ask you to come to the altar. But I am going to lead you in prayer.
And I want to lead you in a searching prayer. If we have our musicians here, you guys can go ahead and come on out. I want to lead you in a searching prayer, okay? Here's what the scripture says. The scripture says, search me, O God, and know my thoughts, I pray. Now, do you not think the psalm, God didn't know the psalmist's thoughts? Yes, he knew the psalmist's thoughts. But you know what the psalmist was doing? He was saying, God, do what you need to do. Do what you need to do. That is a searching prayer. Searching yourself. Your envy is not about them. It's a spiritual malady for you. And I want to invite you to have the courage to ask questions about this. So let's bow our heads for a moment. Lord, today we close this time of worship and we close it in a spirit of openness to you. We close this time of worship, dear God, and we ask you to lead us toward a place of courage to examine our lives. God, you have been so good to us. And Lord, we repent of the envy we have toward others. So often we take our eyes off what you've given to us and focus on what we think we've been denied. Help us, dear God. Today, dear God, may we begin the resolve of moving from envy toward contentment and understanding that contentment is an inside job. We bless you, Lord. We love you, and we invite your Holy Spirit to do his work in us, the work of sanctifying us, and moving us toward holiness of character and life. Help us, dear God. Only by your hand can this be accomplished. We thank you and we trust you. In Jesus' name and all of his people said,